recorded live in the Phantasmo Lounge high atop the Lucy Harbin building in beautiful Midtown Portsmouth, Virginia. It's Phantasmo After Dark with your host, Rob Floyd, and co-host, Phyllis Floyd. Tonight's topic, I Saw What You Did. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the old podcast. Hey, Phyllis. Hi, Rob. Hey, you know, tonight uh, we're talking about, well, if, if you've listened before to any of the podcasts, uh, once in a while, William Castle's name comes up, and our love for William Castle and his films. We do indeed love William Castle. So tonight, we thought we'd talk about another William Castle film that you don't really hear about a lot, and for the longest time, I was unaware of. <laughs> yeah. Well, it doesn't really have a gimmick. I mean, William Castle's yeah. known for his gimmicks, and so I'll this one doesn't to, have I'll a I'll get gimmick. around to why in a yeah, little bit. right. Um, Yeah, but it was one of those that uh, kind of under the radar, I thought I knew all of William Castle's films, and then... Discovered this one not long ago, and it's not a bad little film. No, I enjoyed it. It's um, it's different, that's for yeah. sure. And it's uh, kind of the first of its kind, actually. We were kind of talking about that watching it, I think, and I doing a little research, I found out it is. Well, aren't we smart? Well, yeah. This movie uh, is really interesting. Of course, it's William Castle, producer-director, and starring uh, John Ireland, Leif Erickson, and Joan Crawford. Her second time working with uh, William Castle. And, and this is the last time she worked with him, right? I mean, there the was last, only two times. Yeah, it was only two, she only worked with him twice. And actually, this was her last American film. Really? She made two more in Britain after mm. this, and that was it. And then she retired from filmmaking. Interesting. Yeah. So this was her last you know, American picture. Now, the reason, well, the other film, let me go back a little bit. The other film she did was Straight Jacket. We've watched that before. Right. Which uh, we should do a podcast on that, because that was a cool film, too. Yeah, it was good. I, I liked this one better for the... I don't know. I guess the the kids element yeah. I enjoyed more, but anyway, Straight Jacket was really good as well. Well, there's elements of each that I like. Yeah, and I get it. We'll talk a little bit about, in, about the the thing that I really dislike about this one. It doesn't really hurt it that much, but I think it could have helped it mm-hmm. in a different way. But anyway, before I get off on that, <laughs> a Straight Jacket was the movie, uh, the first movie she did with William Castle, Joan Crawford, that is, and that one had no gimmick at all. Right, and you're talking William Castle's known for doing gimmicks with all his movies. Mm-hmm. You know that was his his shtick, his thing. So were these earlier films for him, no, or are these later no, no, no. films for him? These were later. I mean, this was '65. I saw okay. what you did, and gotcha. Straight Jacket was, I think, just the year before. Mm. Maybe the reason there was no gimmick in Straight Jacket is because Joan Crawford put it in her contract. Really, mm-hmm. that there would not be a gimmick. She didn't want any gimmicks in the film she was going to do. She thought it would cheapen the production, huh. and it would be kind of lower class not a lower class but kind of you know cheapen it and demeaning to her and all that so there was no gimmick in that film well that's a shame yeah except <laughs> William Castle did have made up some cardboard hatchets with blood on them that said the name straight jacket mm-hmm. or cardboard axes because you know she supposedly used an axe in that and those were given away at some movie theaters okay but well, that's not there really was no a gimmick, gimmick yeah. with the film this one there's no gimmick either there almost was so what was the gimmick? They're almost almost well, well, first, be. Let, the plot of the film. One of the gimmicks plays into the plot of the film. Okay. Okay. Well, the plot's pretty simple. Yeah. It, this was actually, it was based on a novel that was written a year earlier called Out of the Dark by Ursula Curtis. Never heard of her. Neither have I. But if you'd like to read the book, there it is. Okay. So the plot's real simple. Real basic plot. Girl is home, li- lives out in the boonies. Mm-hmm. You know, no other house around, kind of on a farm. And her little sister is there. And she invites a friend over to come have dinner. So it's it's 15, 16-year-old girl 
and, and the little sister who's what maybe six, seven, seven, six, seven, eight, something like that. Okay. And they um, the parents are going out for dinner, but it's like ninety miles away. Okay. So they're they're a good hour or two away. Right. And they can't get a babysitter, so they trust the two teenage girls will be fine. And you know this is the the sixties. So what do they do? You know, there's they don't get in. They're not drinking. They're not having boys come over and all that stuff. Then they got to watch out for the little sister. So they start making prank calls, and that's their entertainment, right? For themselves. So they randomly pick up the phone book and pick names out of the phone book and start calling people. Yeah, and and you know it's it, like kids do, and it's kind of funny and all that. Well, they they call the wrong person. <laughs> <laughs> And they end up calling a guy. Well, I think they talked to his wife first. And he couldn't come to the phone because he was in the shower taking a bath, she says. So somehow they decide they want to talk to call him back. Right. Well, in the meantime, he has killed his wife. Right. And is trying to cover it up. His next door neighbor is Joan Crawford, who has the hots for him. And apparently they had a little affair kind of going on. Yep. And he says, she's gone. We can be together, you know. Mm-hmm. Through a series of events him trying to hide the body and the girls deciding they want to see what they, they ended up talking to him on the phone. Right. And they like it. The one girl likes his voice and she just wants to see what he looks like. Yeah. Well, they, they don't just call him back and like, it's not just some silly thing that they say. Their prank happens to be, I saw I, what you did. I know who you are. Exactly. Is what they say. So they've essentially yeah. screwed themselves over yeah. here. And, when he was hiding the body, he heard a dog barking and some girl coming to find her dog. Later on, when he hears them on the phone or is, or something, he hears a dog again. So through a series of random wacky happenstances <laughs> and not Mis- miscommunication, but yeah. they all think the other knows something the other one doesn't. Right. And the girls, they go try to look at him. Joan Crawford sees him and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, a lot of stuff happens. Not going tell the whole story right. of the plot. Later on, he ends up finding where the girl lives and goes out to the house and stalks her through the house and around the farmyard. And it's uh, it's pretty intense. Yeah. You know, the only thing that really hurts it is the music. The music. <laughs> it has this goofy little 50s it's like we're going to the party beach. music, yeah. teen beach party music at the beginning when the girls are on the phone and when they're together. And it's perfect for that because it throws you off. Right. But then later on, after the movie is kind of settled into what's going on, mm-hmm. when the teenagers are alone again, that music plays. It's like, and it kind of pulls you out of it. Yeah. You know? And then the very end, it does it again. And the very, at the very end, after all this crap has gone down, you know, you're kind of settled into. Wow, you know that that she, was she almost got killed. She almost it got killed. Real, blah blah blah. It was yeah, a, and then you real, get this you know, stupid beach terror. music. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. That's very weird. And yeah. I don't really remember any of the other music. There wasn't much. There wasn't, there wasn't a whole much lot mood in there. Incidental music, other than that, there were a couple little pieces, but nothing that took you out of it and made you forget the other stuff. Yeah, um, I mean, it doesn't play throughout the whole no, thing. No, no, it's no, just no, a no. few times, the but beginning, it, the end, and a yeah. couple places in the middle. But I think after the beginning, after the first act, it shouldn't have played at all. Yeah, I agree. It should have been more ominous music the rest of the film because the, the the tone of the film completely flips and changes. Yeah. Which is awesome. You know, oh, I love yeah, it when definitely. films do that. And it, it does it well, I think, in this, except for that music. Yeah. It really hurts it. Oh, an interesting thing about this, I find that to get the girls to do crank calls or kind of used to it, mm-hmm. Castle had them do real crank calls daily. 
really? during filming. Like actual like crank actually, calls, just not, pick, not pick a random name in the phone book, yeah. And just w- while they weren't working. Oh, wow. And so they would get used to like what the real reactions were huh. to crank calls, how people would react to them doing it. Wow. I wonder what the, the stuff they said, if they actually used that line. Yeah, I don't know. Or if they did something I don't different. Know. That's <laughs> kind of you know a little method acting there. Yeah, yeah. Now some interesting things about this film. When we were watching, we were kind of talking that this the other night. It, it seems like it was one of the early a- attempts at uh, this subgenre of suspense horror film mm-hmm. with the teenagers alone and the phone is, plays a big part in it. Right. And the killer finding the teenagers alone. And it actually, it was. This hmm. was probably from what I was doing a little research on. I could be wrong, and if I'm wrong, anybody knows. Tell me another film that did it before this. Drop us a line at the Phantasmo After Dark email, phantasmoad at gmail.com, or on the Phantasmo After Dark Facebook page. I would love to know if there was another film like that. Before, before this. this one? You but, mean specifically using the phone and... Yeah, and, and teenagers in real trouble. Okay. The only things before this that I could find were like the teenage monster movies in the 50s. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the giant bug movies or Teenage Frankenstein, Teenage Werewolf. And those are fun, and they're a little suspenseful, but there's no real-world feeling of dread and terror. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was a young teenage girl and a middle-aged guy coming after her with a knife or strangling her. Like, really, she was... A, and it was a real teenager. It wasn't like a 30-year-old playing a teenager. Right. Which some of those teenage movies... <laughs> yeah. The worst one was <laughs> Frankenstein's daughter. <laughs> oh, jeez. Like, 40-year-old playing a high school girl. <laughs> <laughs> that was awful. That's pretty bad. Oh, that was a, that's a great movie, though. She looks so young, Rob. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's a creepy movie, though, for different reasons. The get the Frankenstein, the doctor uh, creeping on the high school girl. Mm-hmm. But this has has that that same almost creep factor, but a vi- like he's going to kill her, not he's trying to make out with her. You know? Right. <laughs> but little uh, what's her, what's the character Kit? Yeah. The girl made the call. Right. She's a little bit of a tart, wasn't she? <laughs> Just just a bit. Yeah. Yeah. She was um she was all about going to meet this I can't remember his name. Mr. Merrick. Merrick, wasn't yeah, that his last yeah. name? Yeah. Dressed up in her nice outfit and put makeup on. Yeah, she put on the makeup and the pretty dress. Yeah. Took her mommy's car. And and the girl said, uh, well what if what if you meet him? what if he wants to what are you gonna do? Well, I'm just talk. I, you know, hear what he has to say. Well what will you talk about it? Well what if he wants to kiss you, will you let him? And she said, What'd she say? I might. I have been around, you know, or or I'm not a kid or something like that. (laughs) She alludes to like, well, well. Well, okay then. (laughs) Do your parents know? (laughs) Yeah. That was one thing I remember commenting to you about, you know, the whole movie, every time she talks about her mother, it's always mother. Mother this, mother, I'm going to do this, mother, can I, whatever. But as soon as she wants to go out or do anything or gets in trouble, you know, and she's hesitant it's mommy i'm gonna take mommy's car yeah (laughs) mommy's what was the thing that got taken on the registration registration mommy's mommy's registration yeah (laughs) yeah and the one thing another thing about this too the little girl Mm -hmm. acts like a little girl yeah is a pain to her older sister but she's not that annoying like a lot of little in other movies little kids you're like god that kid shut up no she's really not annoying the older sister's kind of annoying (laughs) yeah that's true well, it's because she makes stupid decisions. Oh, yeah. I mean, she has to make the stupid decisions. Well, otherwise we don't have for, a movie. If things happen, but some of them are too stupid. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I was surprised at how much I did enjoy this film. 
And like I said, it has a lot of these elements that you'd see in later films. And um, I was reading, well, you know, let me let me share a quote that I found. This was on Wikipedia and critical reaction and all to the film. And this is, <laughs> this is very interesting. It says, uh, his depiction of the, talking about William Castle in, in the film we're talking about here, and I saw what you did. His depiction of the typical American suburb as a hotbed of rolling psychosexual restlessness, voyeurism, blackmail, and homicide concealed behind a scrim of evergreen Americana. <laughs> there's a lot going on in that sentence. It is. And there's a lot more going on in the film. Uh, there's also a quote from uh, Joseph Barak, who shot uh, Capra's It's a Wonderful Life. Hmm. Okay, so he he argues for um, I saw what you did significance as a linchpin between Peyton Place and Twin Peaks. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, who was the first quote from? Uh, I don't know. It was just it was just in just the in list. there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it was just a reviewer, and uh, you know when the film came out or something, mm-hmm. or maybe later. But you know, there's a lot a lot of other films after that, like you know Halloween, Friday the Thirteenth, mm-hmm. even Last House on the Left, things like kind of. Owe a little th- homage to this. I mean, you know, or owe a little something to to this film because mm-hmm. this was the first one that had that type of serious peril, if you will, and that at home, right? And real teenagers almost getting killed in real trouble. Yeah. Now that being said, the gimmick there was almost a gimmick with this, and actually there were. Okay, there was one gimmick they started to use that I just found out about today doing some research, but they had to stop. And this gimmick was in front of some theaters, Elwim Castle had a giant plastic telephone, mm-hmm. you know, put out in front of the theater and to advertise the movie. And it had on it, I think it was on the film or also, or in newspaper. They had a phone number in the advertising that you could call. And he asked people to call for a special message about the film. And when you called uh, this number, you got a girl's voice that whispered sexy on it. I saw what you did, and I know who you are on this number. Huh. And then made a date to meet whoever called at the theater when the movie was showing. Oh, wow. It was a recording, of course. Yeah. you know. And it worked great, apparently. At first, it worked great. But it jammed up a lot of phone lines. People kept doing it, overdoing oh. it. So the phone company made him take it down. Wow. Yeah, I mean, phones were a lot different back then. You know, yeah, it wasn't yeah. as, you know. And it also... uh I don't know if it encouraged kids to make crank calls and jamming phone lines. Well, the gimmick doesn't encourage it. The movie encourages yeah. it. Anyway. Although it also shows what can happen. Yeah. So. But there was another gimmick that they almost used. In, and in the I think the original trailer, mm-hmm. I'll have to look for that and find it. And some of the early advertising, it stated that there were going to be seat belts installed. And oh, some right. seats and a special section of the theater mm-hmm. for people who, you know, who would get scared out of their seat. Right. To keep them from jumping out of their seat. <laughs> but they abandoned that because it would have been too costly, I think, to try to do that all over the place, you know. What was with the, was it the very first scene that opens up with the oh that, the eyes? Now, now, see, that's another thing I, mm-hmm. I meant to mention. That's kind of, you know, the two girls talking on the phone. Yeah. But they're like in the shape around them is like an like eyes. Yeah. It's like that first scene in Halloween. In Halloween, right. Where the kid's looking through the mask. The camera is looking through the mask. So I don't know if this is the first time that was done. Do you know if that's the first time? But that's not what this is supposed to be. Not looking Because there's no mask in the movie. Right. But that look. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Wonder if Carpenter saw this movie. Yeah. You know? Because what's Halloween? 
it's a girl home alone being stalked by a killer and running all through the house yeah. with other little kids, you right. know? I'm not exactly sure of the significance of doing that. Yeah. I mean, well, it looks cool and it it gives you the impression that someone's watching them. Yeah. And that, I that's understand that. It. That's probably it. But that that's type of thing has been used in other films. Sure. Where people are on the phone, it's usually it's just a split screen. Right. But this was specifically they're in eye shapes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like that. So yeah. maybe it was so, you know, give you the feeling that they're being watched kind of thing. Which maybe. was brilliant. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean it was really cool to watch. I loved how the the eyes would shut and then only one of them opened up. And <laughs> yeah. It was just neat. Yeah. Oh, and the the tagline at the end of the movie, you remember what that was? Oh, I forgot. Was it like this is the end of the line? Oh or yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. The end of the line. That's yeah, right. Yeah, which is pretty great it, it, until the goofy music starts playing. Yes, yes, the stupid music. Yeah. You know, this was our second time watching this film, mm-hmm. and I want to say I enjoyed it more the second time. Yeah. Though I really enjoyed it the first time because I didn't know what to expect. Yeah. And it was a pleasant surprise, kind of like the, uh, when we watched The Vampire, which I I'd love that movie now, and I'd never seen it before. Mm-hmm. But it was so much subtle stuff kind of going on in it. This like, and so different from the other movies that were are lumped in. It's lumped in with this one is not spectacular by any stretch of the imagination. You know, there's no wow factor going on in it. But it's a tight little movie. It's got some solid acting in it. Oh yeah, everybody's good in it. There's nobody. Even the little kid is is good as a little kid. You know, she's yeah. natural and she's not annoying. No, no, that little girl was really good, yeah. actually. I liked her a lot. But you got, you know, John Ireland and Joan Crawford. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, Ireland's always solid in everything he's in. Mm-hmm. He's as good as this frustrated middle-aged guy and then who turns killer, you know, because and he has to he has to keep going because he's digging himself in deeper. Yeah. You know. Mhm. And the the setting and everything. I think it plays a major part of of the way the movie feels. The isolation down a country road in this, you know, this farm house. Yeah. Well, you know, know, and it's funny. I tried to, I tried to figure out in the beginning what the significance to telling her friend. Remember when she invites her friend to come over for for the evening? Uh huh. And then she starts telling her how to get to her house. Yeah. It didn't hit me till later why she was telling her how to get to her house. Yeah, it's to give you just how far out yeah. in the middle of nowhere she was, because oh, yeah. she was going all over the place to uh-huh. get there. So she was really in the middle of nowhere. And you know that entire the whole house mm-hmm. and the farm thing that was all on the soundstage. Oh wow! Uh huh. I did not get the impression that that was the yeah. soundstage. That yeah. was really good. The sky and everything was matte painted, mm-hmm. and all the trees and the the farm equipment stuff was was brought in to make it look like it was you know. Really that was well done. Farmland, yeah. Yeah, really well yeah. done. Oh, the, I forgot about the door to the barn oh, where yeah. the horse was. Uh-huh. Remember how it kept getting shut? Yeah, you think they would have put something, in, put a stick there or something. Right. That thing killed me, though. That door did not just, like, oh, yeah. shut and get stuck. <laughs> the, the door would... So, so, like the a door hurricane kept getting, came, yeah, yeah. came by. The door kept little... getting jammed, and then the girls were trying to open the door. And they make a point of telling you this in, you know, early on in the film. Oh, that Dad the, was supposed to fix that. Yeah, Dad was supposed to fix this. It keeps getting jammed, so they're getting stuck in the barn by themselves or whatever. And so then later in the film, the, the door gets shut again. But this door doesn't just, like, swing shut and get jammed. It's, it's like a ghost slams that door shut. Yeah. And it is jammed. <laughs> that thing, it was so bizarre. Yeah, it, it's like all of a sudden it's just 
almost like it was filmed in reverse. You know, yeah. Just a bam! Just, just hard. The door is open, <laughs> and then suddenly the door is slammed shut. There, there, there was not a breeze. No, I, of a I would have swore that a ghost slammed uh. that door. <laughs> <laughs> it turned into a whole different kind of movie. It is no longer a stalker film. It is a ghost <laughs> movie. Now, oh, I found out something else about this, too. They did a remake for television in 1988 of this. Really? Yes. Uh, it was not well received. Was it called the same thing? Yeah. It's called I Saw What You Did. Negative reviews, but it did get an Emmy for Outstanding, outstanding Cinematography. Huh. It starred Robert Carradine from Revenge of the Nerds. Yeah. David Carradine. Okay. And uh, Shawnee Smith, who's kind of a lower tier mm-hmm. you know, scream queen girl type thing. I couldn't find out much about it. I didn't. Well, I didn't really do a lot of research on it because I wasn't really that interested. <laughs> I'm kind of curious. I may. I may seek it out just to see at some point. Yeah. But I really like this. I think the the time setting when it was made in the '60s makes it. Yeah, you're right. I mean, this the time period really has a yeah. lot to do. Well, as I think with the girls film. being more innocent, mm-hmm. and it's in a more innocent time, it makes the violence seem harsher. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Now it is. If you want to see this movie. It is available on DVD, so you can pick it up on Amazon. I think it might be on Blu-ray. Yeah, we got it in the Castle box set, right? No, no. Oh, I thought Actually, this was in the box set. No, no, this one wasn't in the box set. Oh. This was one, I had the box set for a couple of years, and I just picked this up last year Oh, at Walmart of all places. Okay. They had all the horror movies and stuff, out, and I walked by and I saw this and I was like, oh, Joan Cro- another Joan Crawford. William Castle? <laughs> what the hell? You know, I, I didn't care how much it is. I grabbed it. Plus, Amazon has it for like, well, under six bucks. You can get five and some change oh, for well, the DVD. Snap that up. You Go buy it. it. Yeah. For, you know, for under six bucks, grab it. It's a nice little film. It's it's suspenseful. Mm-hmm. It's got like a, a, a legitimate feeling of dread towards the end. Yep. Uh, the little girl, at one point, you think, Man, he might actually kill her or get her, yeah, you know. And yeah. then the teenage girl, you know, he's going to get her because yeah. she's a dumbass. But <laughs> God, well, you know, there's one scene, and I don't know if I should even say it because it. And the end is a bit of a surprise as to how it resolves. Yeah, I'm not going to say it because that—that's the scene I was going to talk about because I had forgotten the second time around. Well, the first time around surprised me, and the second time around surprised me again because I forgot what happens. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so I won't say the, how the the last scene there ends because that. <laughs> leave a, since yeah. there's no gimmick, we'll leave that as the gimmick for you. There you go. That the very last part is is it's not like a huge thing. It's no, just, no, no. It's it just, ha- just how like, it resolves. Wait a minute, yeah. how did that happen? And then you're like, oh, so, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I'd almost be interested in reading the book too. Well, go read it. You know, well, I might look for it. Because it it's a good it's a good story and mm-hmm. it's the basic story has been redone so many times like we've said in all these other movies yeah just slight differences but the basic plot has been redone a lot yeah and this, this is another one I think I'd like to sit and watch with a bunch of other people too mm. to see how they react to it you know the only problem like oh I keep going back to that music though <laughs> if it had some more suspenseful music this would be it would go up a level. And well, as far even, as even if it didn't have more suspenseful music, if it just didn't have this music again, it would be yeah. fine. Well yeah. If it didn't have that music in the breaking up the suspense. Yeah. Let's put it that way. But if it had a little couple of ominous pieces where those those pieces are, mm-hmm. I think it would take it up a notch 
and be noticed. The movie would be noticed more by more people, I think, because it would have more of a suspenseful, creepy. Mm-hmm. Oh, something's gonna happen, you know. Whereas this, it's like it's cre- oh, <laughs> the young girls in this. I think each one of them, I think, was their first film. Oh, okay. Did they go on to do anything? They after did this? go on to do other stuff. I can't remember what the blonde's character's name was. Do you remember? Let's see. They've Kit. said it so many Lib- times. Libby. I no, Libby. she was Kit. She was Kit, I believe. Uh, Libby was the sister. Okay. Yeah, Sarah Lane was the the friend, and her name, her character's name was Kit. And then she had gone on to she did a lot. Of, well, no, she didn't do a lot of stuff. She did a few things right after this in '66. She was on the Virginian, the western, oh, yeah, from '66 through '70. Hmm. So she was a regular on that. Uh, and then she did in '73, Schoolgirls in Chains. <laughs> and she was in the trial of Billy Jack and Billy Jack goes to Washington, which I have the Billy Jack movie. So I'm going to check her out. That's all she did. Apparently she's still alive though. Hmm. But that's all she did. She did five, five things. Interesting. Uh, yeah. So what about, um, now the other girl, Libby. uh, Andy Garrett was her name. Okay. And they were both really cute girls. She only did three things. She did, uh, this, I saw what you did. She did four episodes of Wild Wild West, which was uh, from 66 to 68. And then she was on one episode of Black Sheep Squadron in 77. And that's it? That's it. Huh. And apparently, let's see, I think she is alive also still. Yeah. Well, while we're looking at people, what about the little girl? The little girl. Good call. What's her name? Tess? Yeah. Was that the... Okay. Let's see. Let's consult the Magic Oracle here. <laughs> She had done two films before this, both in 64. She had One Man's Way uh, and then Father Goose, which was a Cary Grant film. I don't know either of them. And I think it was a bunch of little kids in that. And then after after this, she did an episode of Burke's Law in 65 and in 66 did an episode of Bonanza. And that was it. And, and you know, out. Five and out. Wow. That's how, yeah, that's how she rolls. That's a shame because all of them were really good. Yeah. Seems like they could have gone on to do more. Yeah, you know, you would think. Yeah, I'm surprised, you know, they didn't show up on Star Trek or something. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, you know, this is, uh, of the William Castle films, I think because there was no gimmick is one thing, that it doesn't stand out. Yeah. Because that's what he's known for. Like, you know, I mean, 13 Ghost, you know, House on Haunted Hill. Yep. Zots, you know, all the, all the, and Mr. Sardonicus. Each had a gimmick or something. Mm -hmm. And... Those are the ones that are, are more remembered. The Tangler, of course, you know, mm-hmm. fondly remembered because the audience could get into them. And this is maybe a better film than a couple of those overall if they didn't have the gimmick. Yeah. Well, I take that back. I love House on Haunted Hill. <laughs> well, you didn't say it was better than all of them. You said it was maybe better yeah. than a couple of them. Uh, but it is, uh, it's a good solid little piece uh piece of work and yeah. I, I you know i'm gonna have to get some other people to take a look at this i think yeah we should um maybe we should try and do a phantasma with it or something oh you know maybe maybe yeah, that could be christmas it could be christmas yeah. it can't be can't stop the music or it could be we should watch this because it was good because it's it. different that's right yeah We'll have anyway, to see. So, we'll have to see. Yeah. so basically, it boils down to it was really good. You should watch yeah. it. It's I'll a little keep, different well, from going back to, film. Cap to back to just saying that because I don't want to give too much of it away. 
you know, towards the end, there's a lot of cool little things going on. They're, yeah. they're really well, nice. it's funny because I hate to, to talk about films from, you know, this is from the 60s. And we don't want to give spoilers to people, but the movie has been out for so many years. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's hard but, you to know, do well, that. The thing but is, so usually many... I don't care about giving it spoilers because but spoilers don't one... bother me. Because to me, it's okay. If if I know what's going to end, what's going to happen, it's like, okay, cool. How did they get there? I know. That's what I want to know. How did they get to that point? Don't you know? want to know. Oh, and yeah. I get that. Yeah. When the whole idea of this podcast, when we started this, is to get people to yeah, see you know, things they haven't seen. Yeah. Is is not to try to you know impress everybody with our how much we know, you know all the facts about each film because you can Google all that. You know, you can IMDb and find out all who the was the set decorator and you know what you and how old they are, what they had for breakfast. Yeah. You, know, you can find out all the facts about all that stuff. We'll we'll, th- we'll toss a few out there to make it interesting, but. The um the main idea we started doing this was to, you know, a lot of these more obscure films that we like, it, it, to share them with other people and get you to, you know, maybe share our enthusiasm, enthusiasm, <laughs> enthusiasm for them and give them a watch, you yeah. know, to keep these films alive and uh, and uh, keep them going. And, uh, you know, maybe we can watch them together sometime. <laughs> you know? That would be lovely. We need a much bigger house so we can have a lot yeah. of people. Come you in. know, it was like with Dr. Madblood when I was a little kid. Mm-hmm. There was no VCRs. There was no going to, there was no video stores. You know, you had to just wait for a movie to come on TV. So a lot of the classic monster movies and not so classic ones, the only way you could see them is to wait for them to come on. And that was how I got exposed to a lot of that stuff. And a lot of the, you know, obscure stuff and classic stuff I never would have known. And a lot of the stuff now, a lot of the stuff that we talk about, is not shown on most channels mainstream or any of the cable channels. So it kind of, we're kind of doing the same thing in a way. It's like, you know, this is your way of sharing. Yeah. I'm a sharer. You're a sharer. I was raised well, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, to get, get people to uh, check out some of this stuff that uh, is way under the radar and they probably would never have even thought about looking for, you know, because it just doesn't exist until somebody says, hey, check this out. You know, right. uh, it's like this one. I didn't know about this one. I, you know, I thought I had I didn't look to research every film William Castle ever did. I just thought I had known. Well, surprise. Yeah. And a very a pleasant surprise, too. Indeed. So we're going to have to, you know, we have to go through that box set and watch the other films that we haven't watched yet and maybe do some more William Castle podcasts, I think. Yep. Well, I think that's about all for this one, huh? Yeah, I think so. I think this is pretty good. Check it out. Get it. Spend a five bucks, you know, on Amazon. That's right. Be sure to check out the Facebook page for all the pictures and stuff. Yeah, I'll put up as many pictures as I can find and any obscure stuff and throw the trailer up there if I can find. Hopefully I can find that first trailer that has talks about the gimmick. Oh, that'd be good. Yeah. So uh, how does Joan Crawford relate to Planet of the Apes, Rob? Oh, yeah. So we got to play the game. How does Joan Crawford relate to Planet of the Apes? Okay. Should be easy. But, you know, I'm just not a big fan of Joan Crawford. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. Here you go. Are you ready? I'm ready. Joan Crawford was in What Happened to Baby Jane with Betty Davis. Betty Davis was in Burnt Offerings with Burgess Meredith. Who was Penguin on Batman? Ryder McDowell's bookworm on Batman. Planet of the Apes. Thank you. Good night. <laughs> that was pretty easy. <laughs> so you have once again proven. The world does indeed revolve around Planet of the Apes. Good job.
If this is the first time you're listening, <laughs> this is a game we play. Many years ago, we discovered that we can pretty much connect anything back to Planet of the Apes, which means that the world revolves around Planet of the Apes. And just about every episode, we try to prove it. So there, prove there you it. Go. Positive. It's been done. Right on. All right. I think that's about it. Until next time. Thanks for listening, everybody. Good night. Good night. Good night.